Welcome to Death of a Workaholic, where other people's stories are a piece of your map. I'm your host, Jenny Lynn, and I'm ready to take you on an adventure. John Arms, welcome to the show, Death of a Workaholic. How are you doing today? I am lovely. Thank you for having me. I'm grateful to be here. I'm so glad, Jenny, you asked me to be on this because it's important subject matter for the planet, for the whole world. So uh, I'm loving this. I can't wait to uh, to get into this conversation. That's awesome because you have been a champion for the post-workaholic life for so very long. And I can't wait to talk about that as we get later into your journey. But let's start with where it all began in 1991. 1991. That's probably, what would we call that? It's probably the height of grunge in America. That's when I started my career. And as I often say, I refer to my, you know, the people like to hide their age I like to bring it out into the light. I think age equals wisdom, and that's extremely valuable. We have this bad habit in our status quo work culture to go, oh, age equals bad, which is wrong. And so I, I love going back to my beginning. I started in a tough space. When I started, I graduated from the University of Minnesota. I'm a gopher, and with a degree in journalism and marketing. And at that time, it was just cutthroat. Like it was the height of advertising arrogance and award shows and judging and criticism. And it was hard to feel good about yourself. So much pressure. And on top of that, there were hardly any jobs. So when I entered the workforce in my beginnings, it was hard. It was hard. And I think that probably caused me to learn some things and adopt some habits that later on turned into workaholism. Okay. And what were some of those habits? Well, so when you're in a high pressure environment, when there's a lot of judging, which is advertising, when there's a lot of criticism, when there's a lot of just intense personalities, and I'm not saying they're not in advertising, but very much collected and aggregated in that market, you tend to go, the expectation is to work all night. We got a presentation tomorrow. You're not sleeping until the presentation. We're going to travel. So say goodbye to your family because it is all in on this client, on this pitch, on this moment that could be a big win for us for recognition. And you sacrifice everything for that. Not a good thing. And it's not just me, right? The 90s were and late 80s were full of that, like all in on the company's goals no prisoners. And those are bad habits. Those are not good habits. Mm -hmm. I later found out. Now I want to know when you found out, John. So sort of along the way, right? This, you go, you bump around in life and go, maybe that wasn't so great. I mean, I will tell you, I was, I was 33 years old when I had my first panic attack. And that was not good. And anxiety is, is still a, it's, it's the demon on the shoulder that a lot of us have. I have it and I'm super open about it because there's stigmas about it, but I think I develop it from work. I really do. And how much pressure can you take? So I went through life and I have the benefit of having a lovely support system hmm. and I'm a very much into the outdoors. And so I like to go hiking and canoeing and paddling and fishing and hunting. Well, when you're in the outdoors, you're very, very balanced and you have time. When you're living that, you know, just, I need to get, I need to be on water. I need to be in the sun. I need my vitamin D. Well, that's observation time. So you sort of look back and go, what am I doing? What am I doing? Why am I, why am I doing that? So along the way of 
living that intense advertising culture and then building it myself. I started a company in 2004, but by that time I decided I'm not going to run that company the way the industry had run things for decades before. So along the way I learned it. And then when I went independent and started this fractional thing, well, that's a whole different thing, but that is part of how I learned it too. So, yeah. That's amazing. So you said like four amazing things in the last few minutes. Number one, I want to pause and talk about the beauty of age because we just don't talk about it enough. I am halfway in the middle. I'm turning 40 this year. So this is the year that we get to reflect on being the halfway point. Yeah. And it is one thing I've noticed is that like the first half of life, we're assimilating all this information and knowledge, but we don't really get to step back and see how all the puzzle pieces fit until after we've got a few gray hairs. Yeah. Proverbially. <laughs> yeah. Didn't didn't you recommend the book from strength to strength to me? I wasn't did. it? Yeah. And so what is it? It's fluid learning and then crystallized. What what, what are yeah, those? Yeah, yeah. Fluid intelligence and crystallized intelligence. So this is one of my favorite books on this topic is Strength to Strength by Arthur Brooks. And he talks about the transition between in your early career, how it's all about fluid intelligence, where you're gaining knowledge, you're creating breakthroughs. It's it's all like assimilating and amassing these new ideas and insights. And then there's a point where our brains hits this peak performance stage. And in that particular regard, they move into a different type of performance, which is crystallized intelligence. And we start to be able to connect the things that are meaningful and transpose and share them in a more valid, meaningful way for others. And so we become better teachers. We become better mentors. We become better advisors. We become better coaches. And so really rolling with it as you move through your career is the the single best way to find success and meaning your whole life. It's a great read and it's a great concept. And it's something that was very cathartic for me. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, age is a, is, it is high time. We recognize age is a beautiful thing. Mm -hmm. It is glorious. It is loaded with gifts and prosperity and opportunity. And all we got to do is pull it back out into the light. That's all. Yeah. And it's also why sometimes workaholism is okay when you're younger and it becomes not okay when you're older because right. you're amassing this number of experiences. And then at some point that desire to work gets in your way. And so it's figuring out how to make the switch and when to make the switch. So it doesn't become your second great point, which is a panic attack. I have talked to so many people who have had that. I was just researching the other day, 33%. I think roughly I'd have to double check my numbers of mm-hmm. workaholics have anxiety versus 12% roughly of the general population. Like it is, yeah. it is definitely, there is a link there. It is tied. And I want to just blow the top off and say, yeah. you know, that anxiety can be really good for us because it gets us rolling and moving and yeah. doing these amazing things. But it also at some point becomes the thing that can take us down. So it is very clinical in, in a lot of ways. I call it, I call it the bear is the way I look at anxiety is, uh, and it goes back to, you know, anxiety is a result of too much adrenaline Mm -hmm. and and releasing at times that are middle of the night. Why do you need your adrenaline, you know, at, at Mach 10, right? Why is that, you know, and then what does it have you do what it is going at at Mach 10, right? Well, you don't need it, but the clinicians will say as well for 300,000 years that mankind has been on this planet. We've needed to run away from bears Mm -hmm. and saber tooth tigers. We needed that adrenaline to survive. Well, we're not running away from bears anymore. Mm -hmm. So that adrenaline's building up. It's got no place to go. And it comes out as anxiety. That's part of it. That's not all of it, but that's part of it. So in my own little mind, when I go work out, when I, when I'm reflecting, when I'm journaling, when I'm writing, I'm like, I'm staying in front of the bear. So the bear and I are friends. He's eventually going to get me, but always (laughs) behind me. Run away from the bear. I love it. 
I love it. I love it. A whole different way of looking at outrunning the bear because that that's right. Just a great way of looking at anxiety. It's like it's like you're running after something. You're chasing something. So why mm-hmm. not channel it differently in a more therapeutic totally. capacity? Totally. Love that. Yeah. And outdoors. I mean, the ability to helicopter back and see things clearly. That sounds like a great solution for you. So did you find the outdoors before your panic attack or was it after and did it help you work through the other side? You know, it's it's in my DNA. So my family, we're water people. We love fishing and boating and that sort of stuff. So from a young child, I was fishing off the end of a dock probably shortly after I could walk. I was just wired that way, which isn't so much about the fishing, right? It's just like you're there over water. One of the most I mean, a a primary earth element that we cannot survive without, and you're immersed in it. You're, you're, you're in the sun. So, so this connection to nature is, is it's in all of us. I had an early awareness of it and I always pursued it and, uh, and I still do. I have to be in nature for a half hour each day if I'm going to have a good day. So then I lean into it, right? Like, yep, well, half hour is not enough. It's a balancing thing. And, and as it relates to workaholism and it relates to career and all that, it gives us perspective. You know, it's that, that bit of beautiful moment when, um, when I was workaholic-ing is, well, I'm going to grind through this thing and then I'm going to get to the next thing. And because I'm grinding, I'm not going to do a really good quality job, but I'm going to check it off the list. Mm-hmm. And then I'm going to do that throughout the day. And my moments to observe and pause and reflect, which allow me to bring value into my work, are not there. There's some wonderful research that's been done on Native American cultures and and even ancient cultures. Yes, they were running from the bear, but they weren't grinding through days like we do now in modern society. Very much time for spirituality, a ton of time for communities, very connected to nature. Those were beautiful societies, and I think they had it right, and I think we can learn a lot from those societies. So what are the phases that you went through then? You you know, you went through this, I'm going to do the grind in the advertising world. Mm-hmm. Something clicked and you kind of moved into, I'm going to start my own agency and do this differently. Mm-hmm. And then something clicked and you moved fractional and, and said, okay, now yeah. I'm really going to do this differently. So what were the phases that kept you ahead of the bear? Ahead of the bear. So in my family, there's an entrepreneurial thing. Well, most of my family are independent business people. So, you know, I think it's partly in our DNA, but, you know, when I was working in that hard advertising agency industry in 2004, I'm like, I I think I have an idea for this that is really nice. It was a more digital centric company. So I think in many ways I was still workaholicking, right? I'm like, oh, I can build a new thing and I can take what advertising is and make it better. I mean, that's big, high reaching stuff. And, And I reached for it and found myself in the grind just building that up. So it's the, the thing that led me to where I am now is, listen, you have to really find joy in what you do. And I don't know if I find joy in empire building, either building somebody else's empire or building my own empire. I find joy in impact. I find joy in, this is what I think I got right about my company. We just really took care of our people. Like, yep, it's the empire will come, but the the people, right? Pay them fantastic. Give them all the space they need. Don't put mm-hmm. your thumb on top. You know, all those bad lessons I learned, I was able to deploy. And our company wasn't a big giant empire, but to this day, people talk about that was a very wonderful place to work. That's impact, right? We made people's lives positive, but that wasn't enough for me, right? It was still kind of an empire in a lot of ways. So finally in 2018, I'm like, I'm done. 
And I want to go back to my entrepreneurial roots. I believe in, I sort of advanced or evolved my thinking on what work is and what it should be for society. As my, as my high school guidance teacher said, you have a strong vein for justice and social justice. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, well, you know, what about a life built on self-determination and freedom and choice? What can that look like? And growing up in the 70s, 80s, 90s, and 2000s of the corporate world, freedom, choice, self-determination, not really in the mix. Mm-hmm. You know, for the most part, like people were working for somebody else on their vision to advance their cause. But what about ourselves? So I thought, well, we can do that. We can do that. We can be independent. We can be free. We can have more choice. Fast forward now, it's called fractional. Mm-hmm. So yeah. there was there a period when you went into fractional that you went back to kind of some of those workaholic tendencies before you found your way out? Or was it a really clean break for you? It was a pretty clean break. Yep. When it, once once I decided that, you know, quality of life and balance is the answer to happiness mm-hmm. and freedom and choice and self-determination were in the mix, I, I really avoided workaholism. And I think it changed, right? Like, so you're an artist, right? And you find immense passion in drawing or mm-hmm. painting. Well, 10 hours might go by where you don't even know you're doing anything, but you're so in love with the process. Well, I don't really think that's workaholism. You know, Mm -hmm. that's actually healthy expression. I write a ton, right? And I I get in the writing groove and I'm like, out it flows. That's healthy. It feeds the soul. Yeah. And there's impact on the other side of it. So I think there's a difference between working a lot and working hard and workaholism. I agree. Working with your natural energy flow Mm -hmm. is incredibly important. And one of the things I have learned in the last, I would say year or two, actually, is how to combine being focused and having priorities that keep you from, you know, stretching yourself all over the place, creating that frantic adrenaline rush that causes Mm -hmm. you to need to (laughs) run from (laughs) the bear. Exactly. But to avoid some of that by creating these really strong priorities, but also having some flex within them to go with where your brain wants to go on a day-by-day basis and really being aware of what are truly hard deadlines mm-hmm. versus, you know, if I'm feeling more in a drawing mood that day, I'm going to be drawing because I draw. It's part of my role, my work, right? But yeah. not every day do I feel like writing. Sometimes I feel like drawing. So I can work with that. Like sometimes yeah. you go to your number two or three priority and do it because it's, it's there. It's feeling your soul. It's present. Just go with it. Jump on that train and drive. It, isn't it something like what you say no to is as important or if not more than what you say yes to. So if you have the choice to check nine more things off your list or paint in a three hour window, right? I think the world's better if you paint. I think your family's better. I think your community's better when we lean into those places that give us joy and our natural energies. I love that. So you talked a little bit about how you found joy and impact. How did you evolve that definition of impact so that it suited you in this life that also reflected and honored your own needs? Good question. So it came down to like early on, the impact was pretty clear. Mm -hmm. And it was more around, I think there's a different business structure and career structure that can work for more people than what we currently have. And that felt good, right? A lot of people like, I am really good at what I do. It doesn't fit in a corporate bucket anymore. Where does it need to go? Like just providing relief to people who are stuck with Voyager and Fractional was great first impact. Mm-hmm. But it evolved. It evolved to as we as we thought about that and, and what that meant, 
in terms of training people to do that and providing services to help them and even what the things we do today, there's far greater impact than just the relief from maybe an old pressure-filled life into a more fulfilling, self-determined life. It is direction for people and that it is forward motion for our society. And you talk about white space and the importance of having that in your life and in your work. What role did that play in this evolution process? Like, where did your biggest ideas come from? Oh, they always come from the white space. You know, they really do. The biggest ideas are not the result of a whiteboard and too much coffee and sweat and grind. That is not where great ideas come from, at least for me and Jason, my partner in Voyager. It, every Friday we have a meeting and we'll talk about things, right? And then we go, now we're going to soak. Just It needs to soak. Don't push it. Don't shove it. Don't try to force it. Let it soak. And then we don't come back for another week. <laughs> so how did you make the leap? And for people out there thinking about making the leap themselves, what would you recommend? Well, learning, you know, you have to learn, you know, the world is changing. You have to look at the cues. You have to learn as the world changes around us. I mean, I can't imagine a time since maybe the Great Depression that we've had so much change and everything all in one short period of time. So you have to go with that and you have to learn, right? And sort of get out of those comfortable spots that you thought were nice, safe places. For the people we help, a lot of people are pretty comfortable. They had a great job at a big Fortune 500 company. Everything was great until it wasn't. And when it wasn't, it was bad. Like you lost all your money. You got no, you know, everything stops, right? The whole thing stops. But it's not just the money, right? Like the reason you get, you know, the impact you can make and the, you know, yes, supporting your family and 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 all of that. But the I think the absence a lot of people felt is like, I'm no longer really wanted. I don't have a sense of belonging anymore when you're laid off, right? So where does that where does that go? Because you're no less awesome. You're as awesome the day after you were laid off as the day before, probably even more so because you've been released from a lot of things, but you don't feel that way. So anyway, you have to learn, you have to understand, you know, what your options are. You can go get a new job. People are sort of having an awakening right now. And you you made a really good comment in there about, you talked about how there's this need for belonging. And I want to pause there because what I've noticed is that a lot of times this, this anxiety that's created through this, like, go, 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 adrenaline mm-hmm. pumping stuff. From a lot of people I talk to, there's usually two underlying components, either some form of financial security they're pursuing, and the other is performance, a desire to perform at a certain level. Now, if we unpack that desire, there's usually some root causes, right? Why do we feel the need to perform? There's going to be some reason why we feel the need to perform. So what were some of those things in your journey What were some of those underlying desires Mm -hmm. that drove or informed your early workaholism that you had to shift in order to embrace this new reality? Oh, boy. So, you I mean, you get into some really interesting psychological territory with that, (laughs) which is fascinating to me, is early on, yes, you're seeking financial help, right? It's like the harder I work, the more money I can earn. Mm-hmm. Uh, the harder I work, you're work, looking for some safety, right? If I work hurt, hurt, harder than the person in the cubicle next to me, I am more firm at this place. Mm-hmm. So there's some very practical things, whether those are right or wrong or good or bad, I'm not mm-hmm. judging any of it. It just, mm-hmm. it just was. And mm-hmm. in many ways, it still is. 
But there's other things, right? You're seeking approval. Mm-hmm. Look at me, look how hard I work. I stay, I mean, just think about the, what, you know, are you going to stay till midnight? The judgment that happens in the workforce is terrible. Shame. I wrote about shame this week. Like, you know, it's just the shame. If you didn't work, if you didn't sacrifice your health and your family, there's some shame associated with it. And a lot of psychological stuff comes in. It starts to spin together in a wash cycle and it gets more and more tied up. And I don't think it's necessarily healthy for everybody. So I was in that cycle for a long time and I decided to leave it because I didn't think it was healthy. Yeah. Figuring out what's at the root of why we have, I, I love the picture you use, the, the wash cycle. It sometimes is hard to mm-hmm. untangle some of the different needs that we're trying to fill at some point, unless you back to the space thing stops, step back, yeah. it's space. Figure yeah. out what what do you need to still carry forward? What is relevant? Because often it's really just, I need a, a sense of connection, a sense of belonging. Sense yeah, of I'm, I'm reading Brene Brown, Daring Greatly right now. Oh and, yeah, great book. Uh, a great book, great book. And she's obviously researches all of this stuff. And she's saying, listen, we're hardwired for connecting. So if we're hardwired for connecting, then what kind of connecting are we hardwired to? Or will we just seek whatever connection is available for us? So if we're hardwired for connecting and community and a sense of belonging, does that mean we'll take the unhealthy and the healthy? So for example, let's think about alcoholism Mm -hmm. and all of that. Like if we're hardwired for connecting, a lot of people will connect around alcohol and an alcohol abuse cycle. Yeah. That's connecting. That's bad hardwiring. It's connecting, but it's connecting around a negative force and negative energy. So even though we're hardwired for connecting, we have to find where it's positive and where it's negative. Like I'd much rather be hardwired for and spend my time connecting in a giving way, in ways that help others, in a way that's physically and mentally healthy. I find her writing super interesting because we are hardwired for connecting, but the work comes in where, where is that energy, that hardwired energy, where should it go? I think we all have a good idea where it needs to go. I love it. And once again, all that takes white space. And for those of you that want to kind of really dig into the white space, uh, another recommended read, David Rock's Your Brain at Work, is a great book that talks about how our brain generates insight, the importance of space in that process, what's happening in our all of our different brain waves. Uh, but really simplified it. Your brain has to be, your executive functioning has to be quiet for you to grab onto insights. They're, they're, they're a, a layer deeper. And so the more that we're thinking and running a task list in our head, the less we're able to capture it. So white space is critically important in really unpacking all of this stuff and and moving forward in this optimal way that you're talking about, John, and staying ahead of the bear. My Yeah, my big cathartic moment in the last six months. And I thought, you know, there's a better way to go through each day. And through the checklist and a checklist with tasks, right? So I started to contemplate the day as an ecosystem not a list, not, not even chronological. So what I ended up doing is I drew a circle and that's the sun and I drew rays of the sun. Mm-hmm. And my day, the way I organize my day is uh, there are certain things that I, at the end of the day, did I do those things? Did I read? Did I exercise? Did I go outdoors? Most of them are around white space activities, right? I always, every day I want to solve one big client problem. Every day I want to do one big thing to lead the fractional movement, right? Mm-hmm. But I don't have in my sun with all of its spokes, I don't erase, I don't have like what do, 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 do. Mm-hmm. It's an ecosystem of more thoughtful activity, less that's more thoughtful. And that has been an absolute game changer for me. 
Well, I love the way you look at it because it becomes a non-linear. It's still a way to do activity, but because it's non-linear, we can tap into a broader cross-section of our brain yeah. um, versus kind of locking ourselves in and, and right. getting into the forest. We can actually take a step back and say at a macro level, are all these elements folding into my day? Well, then I'm moving forward my vision for the world and for myself. Yep. Yep. One thing I have to do each day is one give. I have to do a give. I fill my soul by helping others. What a great way to look at things. All right. So here's the part, John, where I quickly summarize what I think I heard your tips and your roadmap is. So you get to tell me how right or wrong I am. And sometimes I'm right and sometimes I'm wrong. So number one, I heard get outdoors, get some space, Mm -hmm. be perspective. It really helps you stay. I love this phrase, stay ahead of the bear so you don't have to outrun it. Stay ahead of the bear. Find joy and impact. So there's a lot of things that we can find that we can, that a lot of talk tracks we have, but if we can just find joy and impact, it makes it easier to do amazing work and really kind of get, get clarity on our priorities. Yes, totally. Make sure you're doing work that feeds your soul. So Mm -hmm. I heard a lot of that, like, let's make sure that the stuff we're doing is actually continuing to fuel that joy, which then goes out into the world, makes our lives better, our connections better, makes the world a better place. And I love this. Let it soak. Your biggest ideas come from the soak time. So everybody, you heard it from John, let it soak. <laughs> let it soak. Absolutely. Boy, yes. you, you, you captured a lot of good stuff there. I can't believe I said all those things. You're, you're pretty brilliant, John. <laughs> you say lots of brilliant things. You make it My easy. My kids don't agree. My kids don't agree. <laughs> My kids don't agree either. They're teenagers, right? That's kind of part of the <laughs> part of it. Right. Someday they'll realize our brilliance. Oh, yes. Maybe someday we'll all realize our own brilliance too. To That's right. Level. And I'm so honored that you chose to be here with me. Thank oh, you, John. Thank you. I, this was, I, I, I enjoyed it. I hope I can do it again. And I hope it helps your community. So everybody, you guys need to connect with John. John heads up Voyager U, among other things. He's a former CEO and workaholic, and now he spends his time inspiring others to find balance, joy, health, and prosperity in a decidedly unworkaholic manner. (laughs) That's me. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) Thank you for joining us on Death of a Workaholic, where other people's stories are a piece of your map beyond workaholism. I'm your host, Jenny Lynn, and if this was a valuable addition to your map, then please like, subscribe, or follow, or sign up for my newsletter to get updates when new episodes are dropped. You can reach out to me at podcast at JennyLynnErickson.com, or you can go to my website, deathofaworkaholic.com. If you have a map that you think would be valuable for other people, then please reach out and see if we can book you on the show that is podcast at jennylynnerickson.com or deathofaworkaholic.com. And I can't wait to see you on the next drop.